the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Hall of Famer Larry Clisby, episode 51 here on the podcast. And today, very fortunate to welcome in Fran Frischella of ESPN, former coach himself. And uh, Coach, thanks uh, so much for taking time to join us. I'm excited to be in West Lafayette. I can't say that I said that in the past when I was a Buckeye <laughs> assistant, but uh, a long time ago. But uh I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to watch practice. And uh, as I mentioned to you off air, Elliot, I will see the Boilermakers at, at Texas in December. So I wanted to do a little homework. And um, Coach Payton has always been good to me. Coach Lutz is a very good friend. And uh, I'm in town for the Champions Classic. And, yeah. Uh, not working, just watching. And I said, I'm going to just drive up and watch, uh, watch Purdue practice. Well, it's great to have you here, and it's that time of year where everybody's kind of getting out and about and, uh, you know, seeing teams and getting a feel for what uh, the season's going to bring. Now, you've been with ESPN since 03, is that yeah, right? Yeah, so, I, I left coaching at a young age. I uh, 15, going on 15, 16 years now with ESPN. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing. You've become, that, you've become a fixture, though. And, uh, I mean, I follow you religiously mm-hmm. on Twitter and when you make the rounds, you're one of those guys now that I think people that follow the sport, that are fans of college basketball, that they go to to mm-hmm. stay on top of things. Well, you know, I've had this lifelong obsession with the game, and uh, some people call it work. I don't call it work. I go into Starbucks in the morning, and the young lady says, Mr. Frischel, are you working today? And I don't want to tell her I don't really have a job. Right, right. You right. know, so uh, I'm blessed. And uh Got two sons who graduated, both played college basketball. One's in the NBA with the Magic. One's at Villanova as a grad assistant. And so I'm an empty nester, and my wife uh, kicks me out of the house, and I get to go around <laughs> the country and watch basketball. Well, that's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. So um, speaking of kind of your passion for basketball, talk us through your childhood, mm-hmm. um, East Coast. Yep. Growing up, when did you uh, when did you get the bug, so to speak? We always ask people that. When did oh, when did man. basketball get in your blood? Well, you know what? I was lucky enough to to grow up in the era of the great New York Knicks teams in the late '60s, early '70s, when the game was played. You know, we talk about the Warriors and how well they moved the ball. Well, I grew up in the era of find the open man. You know, and Walt Frazier and Willis Reed and those teams. And growing up in New York City. Like a lot of places around the country, you grow up, you play baseball in the summer, you play football in the fall, and you play basketball in the winter. And uh, I just took a, I was better in baseball, you know, I was an all-city type player, but I loved the game of basketball. And uh, I knew probably when I was about 12 or 13, I wanted to be a college coach. And it's really funny. Um, and I always wanted to coach in the Midwest. You know? Really? Yeah, as a New York City guy. I remember like, going into our like, elementary school library and reading these like fiction books on sports heroes and things like that. And everybody, all these guys were always at State U, you know, <laughs> somewhere in the Midwest. Right. And I said, I want to be at State U. And uh, so I, I, I knew I wasn't going to be a player. Um, that was pretty apparent. I wasn't going to be a really good college player. I was a D3 level player. But I, I started coaching when I was in college and went back and coached my JV team at, at, in our high school when I was a freshman in college. Um, my senior year in college, I was a Division II assistant coach at New York Tech, and it's interesting. We played uh, we played in the quarterfinals of D2 up at Northern Michigan University in 79-80, and uh, I just met him briefly, but we became really good friends after that, but this guy Izzo, and so Tom and I have known each other since 79-80, and then uh, my big break was coming out to Ohio U in 81 with Danny Knee and Billy Hahn, who's a 
Mishawonka guy, one yeah. of the craziest guys. Oh in yeah, we know Coach Ira well. well he, he was. I need to say he was my mentor, but he was <laughs> taught, taught me how to drink beer, uh, <laughs> uh, which he does really well. But he was a good recruiter too. Um, so I spent six years in Athens. I loved it. I loved Ohio. I loved Indiana. I love driving from Athens to Warsaw, Indiana, and watching Al Rhodes coach, Pete yeah. Smith, and all the great coaches wow. in, in these states. And uh, in 1987, uh, I replaced Rick Barnes, who I'd also gotten to know uh, at Ohio State, and I went up there for two years with Gary Williams, and um, absolutely loved being a Buckeye. Um, Walking into any high school gym in Ohio with that Buckeye shirt on, I was like, I didn't care who. It could have been Lou Olson, Coach K. When you're an assistant coach at Ohio State with that Buckeye shirt, you go, all right, bring it on, big guys. Um, And then in 89, Gary Williams went to Maryland, and Rick Barnes had an opening at Providence, and I went to Providence. And then from there, Manhattan College, head coach, had uh, four really good teams, four postseasons, helped bring St. John's back, left a great team behind, went to New Mexico. And then, Larry, I I retired because of illness. They they got sick of me, you know. And and when I went to ESPN, I thought it was just going to be a year or two. Yeah. Um, I had two little sons uh, that were 10 and 7 at the time, and I said, uh, after a year or two at ESPN, they offered me a chance to stay on. I said, you know what? I like this lifestyle. I get to watch my kids grow up. I'm around the game. I thought I would be going back to coaching, Elliot. It just never materialized because I love what I was doing. And all these years later, my boys followed me into coaching, and I'm, I'm having the time of my life. Now, I've talked to some other people who have gotten gotten into the broadcasting side, and I think one of the, I don't know if it's a cliche or what, but one of the things they always say is you never lose a game. You know, you walk out of that gym, and yeah. you don't have that loss. You don't have that heartache when you get on the bus. <laughs> and I remember uh, reading an interview with um, John Gruden, and he said that. Yeah. And now the Raiders enticed him <laughs> with, with a pretty big Somebody wants check. to give me $100 million. I'm back in coaching <laughs> yeah. like yesterday. So. Well, things change a lot, you know. Things change a lot. Uh-huh. You know, 20, 30 years ago, we never got into this business of the idea that we we're going to be, uh, we we're going to judge people or we we're going to uh, uh, be experts about yeah. the thing because we didn't have 24 7 then. No, it's right. crazy. And, 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 yeah. and when they started going to that, you had to start looking at analysts and stuff like that. Then you could you could honestly say, "Well, I think I'm, I, you know, I wouldn't mind being a being a guy that would do that, you know, because you don't you don't have an invested yes, you don't have an well, you're invested. I'm not saying you're not, but you're not invested uh, job wise in the sense that you could lose a job because you're. Right, you're you're criticizing or well, and unlike you, where you have lived and died with Boilermaker Sports, you know, the last thirty plus years, you know, I'm sure when you get on a bus or a flight home after a brutal loss at Minnesota, you can, you know, you wear that like you're yeah, part of the team. Absolutely. Right. But my biggest thing, like when when Matt Painter's coaching against Chris Holtman, and it's a close game coming down to the wire. All I'm thinking about is, man, I hope Outback's open till 10. <laughs> you know, that's all I'm worried about. Because right? both are friends and both are doing really well. And they both are, you know, probably making way more money they ever thought they would make, obviously. And so they're going to be okay. I just want to make sure me and my crew can get something to eat and, and, and talk about the game. Yeah. So in that sense, I'm really lucky. And the other thing I would tell you is, um, and the reason I take my job so seriously, I mean, I love my job. It's not hard work. But... I do care about what coaches say. 
like um, I don't necessarily spout off at the mouth and, and not that I can't be critical because I can be but I, I want someone to say I never the worst thing someone could say about me is man Fran didn't do his homework on that right or, I'm, I'm surprised Fran said that he should know better because I know how tough the business is, how tough coaching is, how tough it is when you lose like three in a row, or you you know your best player's out for a month. So I, I try to always put myself in the position of the of those guys coaching and playing and trying to tell the people exactly what's going on behind the scenes and what that locker room's like at halftime, or you know what it's like when you when you win or lose a close game. So that that's my goal every night. It's it's funny you say that because when since we've been doing this, we did it just you know. We're on our fifty-first first episode mm-hmm. now, and when we first started, I think we kind of did it. I don't know. I don't know if we did it to have fun or what. But as we st- <laughs> as people started responding to us and getting back to us, I mean, we had more people on road trips. We took a trip a couple of years ago to Cancun was our exempt event. Right. We took a plane full of donors, and we're standing there in customs in the airport, and we probably had a half dozen, ten people come up to us. Hey, we love the podcast. Keep them coming. It was it was really eye opening. Yeah. And more often than not, what they really like is the behind the scenes right. take on things. And we try to give them a glimpse of that, you know, whether it's how we travel or how we prepare for a game or things like that, or just the, the behind the scenes stories more than anything. And uh, I think that kind of, I can see where that, that's a valuable tool for the viewers to get that insight. Well, when I was a young coach at Manhattan College in New York, and, you know, of course, New York's a pro sports town. You're trying to get publicity for your team. And, uh, this was really prior to what we've seen in recent years. The only thing close to it would be NFL uh, films. But yeah, they, right. the producers of games would say, hey, can we come into your locker room before the game and listen to the pregame talk? And now that's commonplace. You right. know? But back then, 20-plus years ago, it wasn't. And I thought, hey, you know, it's great PR for us. Um, you know, I'm going to probably say one or two intelligent things that the people watching will go, hey, that makes sense. But more importantly, it was just take people behind the scenes and give them that inside access that now we see it all the time. It's what's so great about sports television, ESPN, Fox, all the behind the scenes stuff. But I, I, as a kid and as a viewer, I always wanted to know, what are they saying in the locker room? Right. right? What's that timeout huddle like? And that's what you know. That's what your podcast is doing, and that's what I try to do when I do games. Oh, I can remember um, back in the '80s. Um, I had a producer in television that uh, we had a show. I had Coach Katie's show, and um, mm-hmm. Coach Katie, he uh, Stu Metzger, who unfortunately just passed away, just a great, great guy, and Stu. Uh, he always wanted to look at. You know, let's give them something that no one ever sees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you see Coach Katie, you know, <laughs> privately, and we can make it public, it'll yeah. really be something. And and we did that for a long time, and he did a great job of doing it. And every time uh, Coach would get mad at Stu, he said, "Come on, Stewie, I don't want to do this. Stewie, I don't want to do this. Come on, Coach, please, please, please." And he ended up doing it. Boy, he used to have some great, great stuff that we used to show locally long before any of this stuff was done, and it it was really good stuff. Is there anybody who had such a different image on the court and off the court? I mean, I love Coach Katie. I mean, he's such a gentleman. But there's a perfect example. If you only watched what he did on the sideline, you would say he's a a crazy man, which a lot of us were. But if you get to know Coach away from the court, he's one of the greatest gentlemen going, and... uh, 
You know, I always I always have fun when I see him. I've been seeing him more at Kansas State games because yeah. of Bruce Weber. Right. Because I see Coach Weber, you know, obviously I cover the league, so I've gotten to be very – and Bruce and I were assistants. We've, we've known each other 30-plus years. So, but when Coach Katie shows up in Manhattan, not far from his home, by the way, right? Yeah, uh, where he grew up, um, it's always great to see him. And I laugh because it's, he's just a different person than the guy that was uh, stalking the sidelines for the Boilermakers. No, he'll sure. he'll uh, he he has us all on his dial decks, you know, and and he'll get a hold of us uh, every him, week. I talked every to him this week. Morning. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, he's uh, he touched base with me about our trip to Charleston mm-hmm. uh, here in a few weeks, and uh, he's going to drive over and, and stay with us and That's catch great. those games. So, oh, yeah. but he'll say things like, uh, uh, you know, what what was uh, hey Larry, uh, what was uh, what was Bruce thinking? What was he thinking there? What what? What, coach? I don't. I don't. Re- I didn't see the game. He says, "Oh." He called me the other day when uh, Michigan, Michigan State football got into it before their game. Yeah, yeah. So he calls me and says, "Hey, do you have Izzo's number?" I said, "Well, I don't, but you know, I can get it from Coach Painter." Yeah. And he said, "Well, send that to me because I want to call him and ask him what were they thinking on that football field." And I thought, <laughs> I "Thought, coach, they don't want to. He doesn't know what was going on there." But that's coach. He may, you know, every day he's touch a base with his guys across he probably, the country. Well, he probably wanted to touch base with Tom too. You Absolutely. Know, I'm Absolutely. sure he wanted to just check in with Tom and Absolutely. give him a hard time. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And he's he's uh, he he told me all the all the guys that he touches base with regularly. And when you look at his coaching tree, I mean, it's amazing all the yes. guys that are still coaching, oh, yeah. still out there and active in the game. And uh, I'm going to see Conzo later in the week. They're playing up at Iowa State on Friday night. I'll be up. Oh, there. he's a beauty. Yep. Now, yeah. now talk about your your time now. Well, first of all, before we talk about the Big Twelve, I want I want to ask yeah. you about that era in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And since we're talking about Coach Katie oh, and that, man. I mean, such an era for coaches. And I remember as a kid growing up, you know, you did. It just seemed like those guys were the school. And even when I was a student here, and I went off to Kansas as an intern and worked at Duke in the sports information area, anytime I said Purdue. Gene Cady was the name that came up. Yeah, yeah. And they're just, they were such um, synonymous, so synonymous with their school. Um, you know, Coach Knight at Indiana and Coach Katie at Purdue and Coach Heath go to Michigan State and Dr. Tom at Iowa and, just, and Coach Henson at Illinois. And the list goes on and on. Yeah. That, that's just such a golden era to be in the league. Well, Larry knows this. It's, it, it was. I mean, the, the Big Ten has been great forever, but there's been, I think, I was talking to Stephen Bardo one night. We were in studio at ESPN and and we've become good friends through the years, and we started counting all the NBA players in the 88-89 season. Oh. Okay, and here's the amazing thing about that season. Um, Purdue was great and didn't have a pro. We were really good until Jay Burson broke his neck at Iowa on a Monday night, and Eddie Horton fouled him hard from behind, and we were overachieving. We were 17-6 and six and had just beaten Louisville and Freedom Hall when he got hurt. But forget Purdue and Ohio State. There were 26 NBA players on the rest of those teams. 26. I mean, yeah, and the cool thing is that uh, Coach Painter could name every one of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, every single one uh, of them sure he, could, he, could. he could mention. Because anytime someone would say, well, you know, this era was this mm-hmm. or this mm-hmm. era was that, he said, mm, you better take a different look at that. Absolutely. I'm going to tell, tell you an era. Yeah. And then he'd start. Yeah. Well, remember, Larry, there was really none of those guys were one and done guys. You know, right, 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 right. You know, and and it wasn't common then. And Michigan probably had a couple guys that you know Terry Mills would have been one and done, right? And uh, 
you know, Illinois had Nick Anderson, and you know, go down the list really. But there were some guys that likely would have been one and done. But back then, everybody stayed at least three and usually four years. So B.J. Armstrong and Roy Marble and uh, all this Michigan had Ramil Robinson, yeah. Harry Grant. You know, on and on. We can just we could probably take up the whole the podcast. Final, final, yeah, and then. Um, Sean Leonard, I think somebody at Minnesota. I think it was Walter Bond made it in the NBA, and um, so and then Indiana had Lyndon Jones and Jay Edwards and those guys. So it was an amazing time. I loved it. I was a young coach, and again because I loved the Midwest and loved coming out to the Midwest. Well, we just thought it was normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's funny because when I was at Ohio U as an assistant, I'd be driving around on the Saturday night recruiting, driving back from Indianapolis to Athens. You know, I might hear you or. Um, you know, uh, who's our guy? Uh, Don Fisher. Don Fisher down at IU mm-hmm. doing the game. I could pick it up on the radio and like, I'm like, wow, Big Ten basketball. What a, yeah. That's unbelievable. Saturday night, right? We didn't move the games that much for right. well, ESPN. <laughs> until I got sick, I never knew how the influence I had on games yes. and people. And uh, that, was, that was a great wake-me-up call for me because, you know, it was like living a uh, – it was like a live funeral, man. <laughs> I mean, all these people. What are we going to do without Larry? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. You got to stay alive. And uh, But oh, it was. Uh, it was uh, that's cool. It's amazing stuff, man, because people have such a such a tremendous connection. want and connection yeah. to, to Big Ten basketball. Well, and to, to the Boilermakers, in your case. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, we oh. just we saw a stat today that he's Larry's broadcast ninety three percent of our NCAA tournament games, which is pretty good. And we've been in a few, <laughs> yeah, forty one years now. So well, when you and uh, John Wooden were together here, that, that had to be that had to be a lot. <laughs> well, of fun. you know, Fran, I have a I have a great story about Coach Wooden. And, um, um, Alan Carpick, who uh, runs a publication here. Uh, at Purdue called Golden Black and it's been around Purdue for 45 years and is an expert on Boilermaker basketball but years ago we had a uh, we had a a dinner involving Coach Wooden Mm -hmm. and he came in and uh, and at the time he wasn't doing autographs and that type of thing he just came in but he did have pictures big old pictures and after I had worked for Alan for a little while and he had called me one time and he said you're not going to believe what I just found I said what was that he said I found a picture of uh, you uh, of Coach Wooden and he autographed it to you I said you're kidding me he said no I said to Larry you know from Coach Wooden you know That's love cool. you know love having you and you're a great Purdue guy and all this. So he, and it was perfect. And he gave, and, uh, and Alan gave it to me, and, and I have it, and I have it hanging in my house. And, and that was was that Coach's sophomore year here at Purdue when he signed it over to you? <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. That's pretty cool. What a great player he was. I don't. I mean, of course, I don't oh know. yeah, he but, was. Like you know, we went out and saw him, uh, Coach Painter's first or second season here. Mm-hmm. Um, a donor of ours was going to send a plane out and so the staff we all went out and met with him we go to his condo we spent some time we spent a day and a half with him and he told us when he was at Purdue that his nickname was the freak 
And wow. he said, I had large, I had the biggest hands that anybody <laughs> had ever seen. Yeah. And he said, and I was very muscular. And he said, he goes, and he was, you know, he was humble. And he said, I don't want, I hate that it makes me embarrassed to say. He goes, but I was more athletic than just about anybody. And he said, so people used to call me the freak. And, you, and you know, you look at Coach Wooden as we know him, you know. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. You, don't, you don't think that. But it was pretty cool to hear his stories. And he was, uh, his coach, Ward Lambert, mm-hmm. he just could not stop talking about him. Wow. And what a pioneer he was of the fast break and just so yeah. complimentary of him. It was pretty cool. That is cool. Very cool. I love the history of the game. So just a couple of those nuggets. I'm going to remember those things. Yeah. So um, Big 12, you, yeah. you've kind of become synonymous with that. How did that start? That just is that a situation where the Big Ten or the ESPN just said, "Hey, we'd like you to cover the Big 12? Or were you living in, in geography? Dallas? Geography, yeah. I, I made my home in Dallas the last sixteen years because my wife's from Dallas. So when I left coaching at New Mexico, and um, I, I said to my, I said to Meg, I said, uh, <clears throat> "Let's go to Dallas for a couple of years. You know, we'll see your mom and dad and your sisters." And I had taken her around the country. She, we got married when I was an assistant at Ohio State. We met at Ohio U. She was in grad school. So we went from Ohio to New England to New York to New Mexico. And I said, let's go to Dallas for a couple of years. It's a good hub, you know, to fly right. out of. And so my boss at ESPN said, hey, um, we're going to put you on the Big 12 because you're close. You know, you know all the coaches. You just, you're just new. You know, you've just been out of coaching, so you know everybody. And they, they did. And um, it's been great for me. I, I Once we get to January and February, Jay Billis and, and Dick pretty much can do the national scene, but Dan's going to be in the Big Ten, and I'm going to be in the Big 12, and Jimmy Dykes is going to do the SEC this year. And it's, it just fits me. It fits me, and I love promoting the league. I know uh, I'm, not, I'm not a shill necessarily uh, because when teams are playing poorly, I'll say it, but right. I, I like – you know what I love most of all, Elliot, and this, this is true in this league too, but – I've gotten to watch Buddy Heald as a freshman. Yeah. Javon Carter as a freshman. Frank Mason as a freshman. And was that what I was mentioning earlier about the, the old Big Ten when you watch guys come in as freshmen and they stayed for four years? I love telling the story of these guys when they're young players before they blow up on a national scene. And then Dick will come in and he'll say, Wait, you know, he'll do a game and go, which guy's Javon Carter? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, uh, but I love that. And I would do that if I was in the Big Ten or the yeah. SEC, is finding those young guys and watching them grow up. And, of course, you know, you know with the Boilermaker kids, you – you watch Etwan Moore when he rolls in here, Robbie Hummel, and then all of a sudden they're gone. You know, but you go, man, remember when they played here? Right. You know, right. so that's what I love, and it's a great league, as as are the other leagues. It's uh, very competitive, great coaches. Uh, really happy. I'm going to be honest. It's not because I'm because it's a Purdue podcast, but I've been a big fan of of Bruce for a long time, Coach Weber. And uh, he's doing a great job out there. I've had to be one of those guys that defends him because he's not flamboyant, yeah. right? Like Bob right. Huggins or Frank Martin. But yeah. I was very happy for uh, his great run last year, and they're going to be really good again this year. In fact, when you watch them practice, which I did a couple weeks ago, it is old school Big Ten. Is it? Yeah. Oh yeah, tough yeah. practice, hard nosed guys. It's like a time warp. So it's that's fun because cool. that's what he knows. Well, he and, he and Coach Painter obviously still talk quite a bit, and yep. we feel like we know what's going on with their program quite a bit because we're oh, always yeah. hearing Coach Chris Painter. Lowry yeah. and, and uh, all those guys. Yeah. yeah. So, um, one thing I wanted to ask you, and you you mentioned kind of that relationship with the coaches, is mm-hmm. talk to me about like if a situation arises because coaches are so limited in what they can say, right? And you know they're never going to throw a kid under the bus 
and they shouldn't. Um, they're never going to. Um, well, sometimes they never will. But well, most yeah, likely yeah. they right, won't. Right. But most of the time, they're, they're sometimes they're held back on what they can say. Right. Yeah. yeah. So something goes down with a game <laughs> or a program. How do you balance that between like? Uh, not making an excuse for the coach, but right. there usually is a backstory. And just sometimes, yeah. you know, like for instance, I'm just making this off the top of my head, but a kid's girlfriend breaks up with him mm-hmm. and he has a bad night. Yeah. Like the coach isn't going to go to the press conference and say, hey, you know what? Joe uh, Joe was off his game tonight because his girlfriend dumped him this morning and he's, his mind just wasn't right. in it. Well, it's a, great, it's a great point and it's easy for me because first of all, I try to do my homework. So even when I'm constructively critical of a coach's decision, they, they know it comes from a position of knowledge. I mean, yeah. They may disagree with me. And, and one of the things I say is like, I, you know, I disagree with Tom Izzo right here. I don't think he should have left him in with two fouls. But he's been to six Final Fours, and I haven't been to any. So you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. So you can say things that make sure you're getting your point across, but also that you don't have all the answers. Right. The other thing I do, and this is when I do throw the players under the bus, Larry, <laughs> like instead of saying that's a horrendous shot, which implicates both the player and the coach, I'll say, that's not a shot Matt Painter wanted right there. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? And again, you know, um, and and, and here's the other thing. I don't mind being critical when it's fair because if you don't want criticism, then don't coach in the Big Ten or Big 12 and don't come and play in the Big Ten or Big 12. Right. Because part of playing in the Big Ten, for example, at Purdue or – Ohio State is that you're going to get all this media attention, and a lot of times it's great. But when you screw up, you you know it's not so great, and you just got to say, "Hey, this young man made a mistake here, or he didn't take care of his business off the court. That's why he's not starting tonight." Right. And um, and I also tell coaches, and I'll tell you this one story. I hope it fits. But um, there's a coach in a big. 12. I've watched him grow. He's built a great program. He was a young coach when he got there. He coached up in Northwest Indiana. You're probably not sure who I'm talking about, but uh, <laughs> listeners could figure it out. Well, well, he and I have become very good friends, Scott Drew. Yeah. And uh, before a game, Larry, um, I find out right at the tip that they're benching their best player. Hmm. So we don't know. The media, the media, the media director didn't tell us. Coaching staff didn't tell us. And we don't know what to say because he's not starting. We don't know if he punched a, a policeman on campus or what he right, did. Yeah. Well, it turns out he was a couple minutes late for the pregame meal, which is, which happens. And sure. I said to Scott, look, do me a favor. Tell me so I can say, hey, so-and-so is not starting tonight. He had a little time management issue before the game, but he'll be in shortly. So he kind of learned from that. I'm I'm doing a game right around the same time down in Florida, and at the shoot-around, Billy Donovan – at that time comes right over to us and goes Patrick Young is not starting tonight he does not play hard so he's telling us at the shoot around I'm like wow you know so that night getting ready to tip it and hey you notice Patrick Young's not in the starting lineup tonight Billy Donovan told us today he didn't think he was playing hard etc and so the game starts and they're playing Marquette and Patrick Young gets like 20 and 15 rebounds he's diving into the stands and we had told the story of why he wasn't starting and we ended it with hey guess what we think he'll probably be back in the starting lineup message sent so sometimes I want the coaches to know tell us the truth We'll figure it out, and I'll say it in a way that doesn't just throw you under the bus. But that's good. That's they. I think that speaks to you and the trust they have in you to know that you're going to communicate it the right way too. Because and that's the former coach in you. Well, we've all been there. Yeah. I mean, I've you know I once left uh, 
two starters behind because they were three minutes late for a bus and we wound up at Manhattan we lost to Stanford by three without two starters mm. and then someone reminded me that Jimmy Valvano once said never leave until your top eight are on the bus <laughs> so what I used to do after that in, uh, incident because I was a young coach is I never left my hotel room until the manager knocked on my door coach everybody's on <laughs> so you know you live and you learn but right. you know you, you try to communicate why this is not an easy job that was the joke around here when <laughs> coach k was like is glenn on the bus talk about glenn around and said yeah we're all set okay we're set to go <laughs> hope everybody else is <laughs> so there's another story that you've been linked to in the bas- purdue basketball program mm-hmm. so we tell this story all the time <laughs> When we played at Florida State in the ACC Challenge. I remember that. First year. First year. Matt's first year, and I was like, oh, boy. And we had, we have, we go into the (laughs) arena the night before. I was have a great practice. Uh And I'll never forget, you came over, and I was the SID at the time. (laughs) And you're talking to Matt and I, and you said, you know, i got to be honest, that was an unbelievable practice. And it was. It was a great, I mean, so much energy. Yes. It was high energy. The guys were into it. They were making (laughs) shots. They were listening. And you said, I think this is going to be a really good game tomorrow. And we all felt that. We felt like, yeah, this is going to be good. And we, I remember. <laughs> and we proceed to get beaten by 40 the next day. Yeah. And yeah. so every time we tell people, it's called the, mur- the murder of Tallahassee is what we always the talk oh, wow. around here. I call it the massacre Yeah, the massacre. Tallahatchie. Yeah. yeah. So yes. what we, whenever we bring that up, we always set it and say, hey, Fran was on board too. He said, I, yeah. "Coach was telling us, hey, this it was, is a great, and it was, it right? was." Yeah. And uh, it's funny because so to this day, if your ears are ringing, I like you might it. be telling that story again. Yeah, I'm going to tell uh, Robbie Hubble. Robbie Robbie wasn't there yet, right? He came no. the next year. Correct. I, I remember thinking, man, they got to get some players, but they yeah. did go hard. But uh, yeah. yeah, I've got I've got to be friends with Robbie because if he's new to the business and he's off to a great start, yeah. And, uh, we we the last year yeah he's a cool kid he is yeah we talk we 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 text each other during the season and especially because he does some big 12 right he told me you've been a really good reference because of the big 12 stuff yeah and just you know what it's funny about uh tv and radio larry nobody nobody tells you anything i mean like there's no i guess you can go to j school you know and do the broadcast journalism but if you come in from coaching or playing you really don't get any help. You you either sink or swing, swim. And and Robbie, to his credit, is is swimming. Oh, he's, so done, cool. he's done a great job. He does a good really, job. Yeah. Really proud of him. Yeah. So how did you get um, hooked up with the international scene? I know it's uh, a lot of times you're the go-to guy for some mm-hmm. of these international players, especially since it's become so prominent in the NBA draft. Um, how did that come about? Well, I'd say in a number of different parts, being a lifelong junkie of the game, anything that's uh, orange leather ball, I don't care where you play it, right. it's, it's in my blood. When I was at Manhattan, I had a Spanish kid from Madrid, Spain, and was a good player for us, and uh, actually made five threes in the second half of uh, our upset over Oklahoma in the uh, wow, NCAA yeah. tournament. So I always remember Geronimo, that was his name. And so... Um, we had him on our team, and, and he was a great kid, great student. And before his senior year, we took a tour of Spain to get him back home. And um, I just got caught up in the international basketball bug. Um, people like Dr. Jack Ramsey, UB Brown, Chuck Daly, they went over to Europe 50 years ago and started teaching the game. And now, as we watch the NBA and even college, the, the globe has shrunk. Absolutely. And there's so many good players coming from around the world to the NBA in college. And um, 
I just really fell in love with the international game because of a young man on our team. I got to do some clinics over there. And then when I went to ESPN, one of my former players in Manhattan was scouting for the Dallas Mavericks at the time. And he he was running this camp in Europe for the NBA called the uh, Reebok Euro Camp. And it had all the best young players. It's kind of like an international combine. I went over there the first year because my boss at ESPN said, we don't have anybody to do the international guys. You want to do it? Well, confluence of events. I'm there. Donnie Nelson is running the camp, and Donnie said, I'm not, you know, you're not going to sit on the side. You're going to coach. So I started coaching at the camp, and I did that for for 13 or 14 years, and I got to know every young good player in the world. And camp come draft night, I'd already know, already watched these guys yeah. and talked, talked about them. And, uh, you know, like Luka Doncic, the terrific young player now for the Dallas Mavericks, is from Slovenia. He's 19 years old. And I remember on draft night this year, I said, he's a step slow, but he's two steps ahead. <laughs> and that describes his game. So, and everybody goes, ah, that's a pretty good line. You know, Fran knows those guys. So it happened by accident, but it happens because of my passion for the game, yeah. too. And I, I work at it, and I keep keep abreast of all the best players around the world. And we saw you over there in Italy. Uh, it's been uh, going on eight years. Uh, now that's another crazy story because I take my, Larry, I take my family. My boys were like in high, one was in college, one was in high school. And I told my wife, I said, we got to go to Europe one time before they get up grow up because now we can't get them in one place even two of them we can't can't get them in one place for right. a while. so I said we're gonna go to we're gonna go to Europe next summer so we went to Barcelona Rome and Venice not like bad a, not bad it's like an eight-day trip so I knew in August that's when teams make their foreign tours so I said to the family okay here's the deal we're gonna go to the Vatican today we're gonna get the private tour <laughs> But Purdue plays tonight, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's just a true story. Because my I got to my boys got to meet Brian Cardinal, yeah. and we hung out with Brian. Brian was a Dallas Mav, and we lived in Dallas, so they were excited about that. But I told my wife, "Hey, we're going to go to the Purdue game, and then we're going to go get a great meal afterwards." And uh, but we'll go to the Vatican as long as we can go to see Purdue, yeah. and uh, I, that's what we did. And yeah, that's how I we remember. popped up like. What's Fran for sure doing here? Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> Am I nuts or what? No, I mean, <laughs> no, it's very cool. Yeah. Okay, so um, we end every one of these podcasts with a final four. Final, yes. Kind of four off the beaten path questions that we ask everybody. So our Ready. final four here with Fran Vershilla is what is your first question is what is your go to music of choice? Oh, man, that's a good question. I got a lot of my. Uh, got a lot. I just, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm 70s R&B. I love the spinners. Very uh, the cool. spinners. I love the spinners, man. I, I you know. I just. I, I, I was a disc jockey back then. I yeah. remember. I love uh, those guys. Spinning the spinners. Uh, 70s music. You know, a little bit of, a little bit of disco. Not the. You know, Donna Summer, the Spinners, uh, uh, Billy Joel. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a child of the 70s, so there's a lot of good stuff in there. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Question two of the final four is: What is uh, your favorite book, or maybe a good book you've read recently? Ooh, that's a that's another good question. Uh, uh, there's a there's a lot of them. I'm a Civil War nut. I'm a history nut, and I know. I, by the way, Indiana contributed mightily to the uh, the Union cause in the Civil War, state of Indiana. Um, so I would say uh, anything written by uh, the historian uh, Bruce Caton, C A T T O N, a great writer. Great Civil War historian, but really easy to read, like a storyteller. Yeah. And um, along with that would be uh, J. 
General Grant's personal memoirs. Oh, okay. Ulysses S. Grant. I, I, Is that I, the new one that it was out? No, no. Okay. There's a new one out by uh, a writer by the name of Ron Chernow. Yeah. Really good read. It's a long book, but the reason I love Grant so much, uh, and when I was in Ohio, you know, Grant, Sherman, and Sheridan, the three big the big three of the Union cause, Phil Sheridan, William T. Sherman, and Grant were all born in Ohio. Right. But General Grant and General Sherman and those guys, and this is why I love Bob Knight and Woody Hayes growing up, uh, because they were history junkies, military history. Uh, coaches and generals are, like, so much alike. Yeah. You know, Grant was a nobody. He was a failure. He didn't wear a general's uniform. He wore a dirty private's uniform. And uh, he probably dressed a little like Coach Katie, but no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'm kidding. You, don't have to, you don't have to look at me. <laughs> no, but I, that's why I love Grant. He was a simple man. He was a failure at everything except one thing, war. And and smoking won. cigars. Well, that too, yeah. yeah. But uh, So anything Civil War related, but Bruce Caton, if anybody's listening and they're a Civil War nut, or that's they want to be, cool. it's, uh, it's great, great reading, great reading. My... Uh, my wife and I read quite a bit, and she went through that Gods and Generals uh, series. And well, Killer Angels, Killer Angels is a great Civil War novel of the Battle of Gettysburg. Michael Shara, whose uh, his son then took over. Yeah, okay. Well, I've re- it's the only book I think I have ever read twice is Killer Angels, and it's basically about the Battle of Gettysburg, but it's a historical novel, and it was actually turned into the five-hour movie by Ted Turner. Uh, Gettysburg. Okay. And uh, so anyway, see so now we're getting really cool. Getting that's on a, his, getting on a no, history that's great. Track we love hey, we love history here. In fact, yeah. la- last week when we were talking to Dave Revson about his mm-hmm. book on the beginning of college football, and yes, we spent a lot of time talking about that history stuff. Really cool. Yep. yep. All right. Question three here on the final four: If you could wave a wand and do any other profession tomorrow, what would it be? Well, I wish I was six nine. I could play professional basketball, but that didn't turn out to be the case. So that's a really good question, and uh, it's hard for me to answer that because I'm doing exactly what I've always wanted to do: be around the game of basketball. So I probably I could say teach history, or maybe uh, be a tour guide, like travel around and and be a tour guide for battlefields. No, I've never been to Normandy. I'd love to go to Normandy, but I've been to many Civil War battlefields and tell people what exa- what actually went on, which in effect wouldn't be a much different than what I do now with basketball. Just do it, you know, with history. You know what I've said before is if I ever hit Powerball, <laughs> and I'm not joking, if I ever hit Powerball, I would go to different schools and spend a year like at Berkeley, Madison, Wisconsin, Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. like the really cool spots. Yeah. And just take history classes. Yeah. I mean, that would be a blast. You still get Christmas and summers off. You still do plenty of travel. But I think that would be I, I might do that really I mean, cool. When ESPN doesn't renew my deal, there I, you think, go. I think I'm going to just park myself. Take some do, history classes. Yeah. And, yeah. and that would be cool, too, to be a history professor. Well, but it would be even cooler if you get to travel to see the places that you were talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Like, you know, like I'd love to go to, uh, you know, to, you know, Israel and, and see the whole early you know the whole early christianity and right and all that stuff and yeah. the dead sea and all those things that people yeah. talk about and they always come away amazed yeah absolutely well yeah. when you go anytime you spend time in europe and you see the dates on things oh, over yeah. there compared oh, yeah. to here it's like whoa okay there's <laughs> yeah, no, the history no doubt yeah okay final question on the final four here uh, what is one thing that not many people or no one knows about you wow okay um 
You know, probably that I have uh, probably uh, probably that I have this imposter syndrome. Like, uh, what am I do? like? I, I always felt one of the things I think was my drawback in coaching is I never really felt like I belonged because I didn't play for Coach Knight or Mike Shashevsky. So even now in t even now in TV, like everybody goes, oh, that's Fran for show. That's a and I'm like, you know, I'm I'm just a guy from Brooklyn. I'm the oldest of seven, big Irish Italian family. Um, people see you in the airport and they expect you maybe to not be as friendly as you are. And I try to, I try to make sure that people know that hey, um, I mean I am a regular person. I could easily be coaching high school in, in New York City, if, except for some good fortune. So uh, I try to I try to kill people with kindness. I do. I try to let, let people know that uh, I'm fortunate to be doing what I'm doing. I try to help and pay forward. So a lot of young. People, in, a lot of coaches want to do the broadcasting stuff, a lot of players. It's a hard profession to get into. There's just not that many spots. But anytime I can help somebody figure figure this business out, I try to uh, reach out and lend a helping hand. Simple life. I mean, I go to the same places to eat. I don't eat at fancy places. Uh, give me Outback. Give me the local pizzeria, um, the local Mexican restaurant in Dallas. I'm a happy man, and i got a good life. I've had a great life so far. Well, when you're in the people business... You're gonna you're gonna make it for a long time with that attitude, <laughs> right? Well, thanks so much, Coach. I we appreciate you taking time to join us here, and I know you're in town to watch some practice. And like you said, you have the Boilers in Austin uh, yep. a little bit later this month, and we're uh, we're excited for the season here. And I know I'm sure you're excited to get going again and and yep. uh, call some games. I am. I'm, I'll see I'll see the guys and Larry. It's great seeing you, and glad you're doing well. I'll see you in Austin. And uh, thank you. We'll uh, we'll talk some hoop down there. Yeah, I didn't think I I didn't know if I was going to uh, make it to Austin, but we'll try to make it Tuesday and then go <laughs> one from game, there. Yeah, you know, one game at a time. Yeah, <laughs> you went pretty good the other night though, so I'm, I, I'm confident. Is that the Marion game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. that's great. Yeah, well, it, I asked him afterwards. I said, "So how how was it?" He said, "Boy." I, kind of shocked myself i felt really good afterwards so. <laughs> i'm good I'm is that good. what you said i'm yeah, good <laughs> well it, it was a bad broadcast yeah. but it was you know the fact that i could do it yep and get through it and get through the um i said all along to him to, to elliot that the the big issue was going to be stamina whether i could go two hours or you know i could talk for two hours and, and, and close losses yeah and close losses we can't have any close yeah <laughs> but but yeah. having said all that you know i made enough errors but nonetheless it was when it was all over he asked me what it was like and i said man that was that was as good a feeling as i've ever had awesome um, i'll see you in austin it's great Awesome. Well, thanks, Coach. We appreciate you taking time to join us. My pleasure. All right, that's episode fifty-one here on the Boiler Ball Podcast. Want to appreciate uh, appreciate everybody listening, and thank everybody. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Remember, you can always join us at uh, boilerballpodcast at gmail Send your questions to us. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. Mm-hmm.